This program is brought to you by Resonance 104.4 FM. If you like what you hear and want to support our work, please make a donation at fundraiser.resonance.fm. You're listening to Panel Borders, and this is Resonance FM's monthly show about comic books, graphic novels, and newspaper strips. I'm Alex Fitch, and in this episode, I'm talking to a couple of creators from the venerable British periodical The Beano, a mainstay of UK newsagents for the last 70-odd years. It's my great pleasure to be talking to two recent additions to the periodical, Laura Howell, artist on such strips as Tricky Dicky and Minnie the Minx, and Hunt Emerson, a veteran of the British comic scene who made his name in the 80s and 90s, working on scurrilous and scatological comics, who is now finding a new younger audience with strips such as Rats and Little Plum. My interview with Laura and Hunt was recorded at the Caption Small Press Festival at Fargo Village in Coventry in front of a live audience. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Caption 2015. On this balmy summer's day, as we become accustomed to at Caption, uh, I'm very happy to have Hunt Emerson and Laura Howell from the Beano. I suppose, Hunt, people who have read comics for a number of years probably know you from your more adult-orientated stuff, such as Casanova's Last Stand and Lady Chatterley's Lover. How did you get into doing children's comics? Um, they offered me money. It's a good start. <laughs> uh, I got to know um, the Beano people uh, some years ago, and um, they asked me at one point if I'd like to do to draw for them, to draw Corky the Cat actually, but I was very busy doing other work at the time so I said no and then a few years later I was less busy, I was running out of work in fact, and I phoned them up, phoned Morris uh, Morris Heggie mm. and said, how about Corky the Cat and he said, well no, can't do that but, would you like to do Little Plum, so that's where I, I started. Actually, the first, the first work they gave me was a, a couple of pages of a thing called The Vultures. And I think that was really just to try out and get started on it. And then, very quickly, I got on to doing Little Plum. And since then, I've done uh, a one called Fred's Bed for a while, which I didn't like doing at all. Um, uh, there was another one that I can't remember now. But there was also Rats, which mm. was one that I invented and worked with along with Laura. Laura, you were writing them and drawing them and things. Hunt was doing the pencilling of the strips and I was inking them. Okay. Which is a common way for, um, you know, superhero artists to work. The Marvel and DC comics, mm. generally, they would have a different inker and penciler. But um, uh, it's more unusual um, for humour comics but mm. it was basically when I was just starting out um, I, I was just kind of getting into being a professional cartoonist and um, kind of working working with Hunt was a good way to demonstrate to the Beano editor that, that I had some art chops mm. Well they um, Laura was a student at a course that I was running and uh, she was the best. And so when I took the, when I went up to Dundee to see the, the, the DC Thompson people, I took up some of Laura's work. Oh no, you sent them some. I got I got her to send some. 
and uh, the editor, Alan, was saying that they get lots of submissions all the time through the post, and they're mm. usually lousy. And he said, we opened Laura's envelope, pulled the stuff out and said, right, what are we going to do with her? So she hit right straight away into that. Ah. Know, straight in. That one, is that, is that one mine, Laura? According to the internet, so it must be true, uh, it's credited to both of you. But, uh, yeah. yeah, you penciled that and I inked you that. Inked it, I think yeah. that was the one that um, we had the piece of original artwork. It was framed and uh, it was in some exhibition or other, wasn't it? In the Cartoon mm. Museum, I think. Yeah, it could be that. Mm. And I think, did you invent the character, the Rubella character? Yeah. 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 The girl with the pigtail, the girl rat with the pig, the, with the, the ponytail. The love of Herman's life. Yes. How easy is it to get a brand new strip in the Beano? Do you, do you pitch them ideas if no, you've drawn some they're existing? Okay. Well, it used to be that um, everything was very much generated in-house. They knew when they wanted a new strip and they knew what they wanted mm. it to be. And they would just call an artist and say, uh, we've got a new concept, can you do it? But it's kind of completely changed in the last few years, hasn't mm. it? They started in the dandy... Uh, becoming a lot more focused on getting the artists to be artist writers. So they actively encouraged people to pitch new ideas mm. and to start writing scripts rather than having them generated in-house. Of course, the dandy is no longer around, but <clears throat> the dandy production crew now pretty much run the Beano mm. and they've brought similar working practices into the Beano office. So now nearly all of the strips are written by the artists mm. and we get regular emails saying, oh, we're starting a new batch of mini strips or something in a few months' time. Please send us your ideas. Because okay. now they do mini strips as well. They'll have like four newspaper length mm. strips on a page or two half pages. And they didn't do so much of that in the past, did they? No. I don't write for them. I find writing these things, especially for children, very difficult. Um, and th- with the Beano, they, they buy the entire copyright to things. And to be perfectly honest, they don't pay enough for writing for me to, to do it. Mm. Uh, it's my, if I'm writing stuff, it's much more valuable to me to write it for myself than it is to write it for them. So I, I only work from scripts. But in fairness, I mean, that's, that's a, a principle that a lot of artists and writers adopt when you're pitching to someone who will keep the rights to it. Um, you know, you, you have to constantly weigh up whether it's worth um, handing over the rights in its entirety mm. versus getting a paycheck for just, you know, doing the concept up front. Mm. Um, I mean, you come from the world of self-publishing. You'd previously done a, a strip called uh, The Adventures of Gilbert and Sullivan. Uh, yes, that's, that's kind of my, my own project um, that I completely own. Um, and I, I, I wouldn't sell the rights to that to anybody because mm. I value that a lot. But on the other hand, I came up with a strip called The Mighty End for the DFC comic. I don't know... The, there will be people in here who remember the DFC. Mm. Well, it's it been replaced by the Phoenix, and they yes, may know pretty that. Much. Yeah. Um, and they they had the rights to that. Yeah. 
they do unfortunately <laughs> um, and you know if, if we're talking pay scales they pay more than the Beano but in hindsight I kind of still wish that I hadn't mm. signed the rights over to that because it's something I really enjoy working on and I would like to do more of but because Random House own the rights to it I'm not really in a position to do that mm. uh, and even though they're not doing anything with it they're not they're still not open to the idea of giving the rights back they're just kind of sitting on it basically mm. so that's unfortunate but presumably in terms of doing strips for a comic like the Beano the idea of being uh, able to do a story for a large audience for children who you know will be picking it up in a news agent must at least you know be something that's an attractive proposition oh it's fantastic I mean um, I do workshops for schools and libraries and things like that and and I, I really like to see kids getting passionate and enthusiastic about comics and cartoons. Um, and I, I love it when I, I open a copy of the Beano and, you know, some, some child in Dumfries or something has sent in a, a drawing of Tricky Dicky. That, that makes my day. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you know, far be it from us to come across as cynical about it. <laughs> But, I mean, the, the fact of the matter is, when you, when you work for the Beano or any comic, you are being a commercial artist. You are doing it for business. Mm. Um, so that, that element is always there. Um, but <clears throat> nobody, nobody in the comics business does it just for that, because it's the kind of job that you have to have a passion for doing in order to do it. Mm. So, you know, that, that element never goes away. I don't think. It takes too long <laughs> to be just doing it uh, just purely as a job. It's, it, it, the, it's too labour-intensive mm. to, um, to be other than a passion. Do either of you... Did it take a while for both of you to get used to drawing and writing comics for kids You know, in order to produce uh, images and gags in the word balloons that you know a younger audience would find funny? You know, and obviously you can't put in as many adult references. Or did it come naturally? <laughs> Do you want to have a minute to think about that yeah, one? <laughs> I, I did find it difficult in, in, when I was first drawing comics. I mean, I've been doing it now, for, getting on for 40 years. and um, Certainly earlier on, uh, I didn't used to work for children. I found it very difficult to get my mind into that sort of set but um, mainly because I, w- I didn't get ideas that were children's ideas. Um, um, but when, when the Beano asked me to work for them, I did find it quite easy to slot in, mm. you know, to, to drop into it. And by that time also, I developed my style and my way of drawing enough that I was able to draw in a more child-friendly mm. style. The bit I found difficult at first was... Um, making little plum look like little plum, hmm. um, where we started from um, the Leo Baxendale character, and at first I was desperately trying to draw like Leo Baxendale, and then eventually, I, quite quickly, really, I realised that actually I do draw that like Leo Baxendale. Hmm. So I just got on and do it myself, and now this is what little plum looks like, hmm. which is if you see Leo's, his are a lot more. Uh, mine, mine look a lot cuter than his, I think. 
Leo's a very sort of cynical looking. <laughs> well, he's been drawing it for a number of years. Yeah, well. <laughs> How about you, Laura? Did drawing comics for kids come naturally, or did it take a while for you to adapt your style in a way that a young audience found funny, as it were? Uh, well, well, to be perfectly honest, I mean, I, I, I probably got a couple of advantages in that respect because, firstly, before. Um, I started working full-time in comics. I worked for a children's publisher, uh, Usborne. Mm. Anyone with kids in the room will recognise their little hot air balloon logo. Um, I wrote reference books for children. I was an editor there. So I was used to pitching text Mm. at appropriate levels. And also, for my personal interest, I totally love cartoons. So throughout my entire life, I have watched and still do Mm. lots of animation on TV, um, which obviously some animation these days is is pitched at an adult level. But a lot of stuff on, say, Cartoon Network, um, Ghibli films, Pixar films, modern Disney films, they're all pitched at that kind of family-friendly level Mm. where... A child can enjoy it, but an adult can enjoy it as well. And that's, that is the ideal level that I try to aim at in mm. my art. I, I want the kids to like it, obviously, they're the target audience. But in an ideal world, I want anyone to pick it up and, and have a chuckle at it as well. Mm. I mean, there are a variety of characters that you've drawn in the Beano. Were any of them ones that you had a particular affection for when you were a kid and then having uh, got a job with DC Thompson, said, oh, actually, can I draw? Well, the, the majority of the characters I've drawn for the Beano have been either newly created characters, like mm. Johnny Bean, who's been up on the rotating screens here, and... Um, Johnny Bean with his rotating screen. <laughs> yeah, there we go. <laughs> and um, Mebo and Zuki, which, which isn't on this, was a kind of cat and dog that beat each other up. Um... So I think the only prominent character that I've, I've drawn regularly was Minnie the Minx. And it was, you know, it was good to draw her. Because um, it, is, it is quite amazing how many of the characters that were in the Beano when my generation were kids are still in there. And in fact, the Bash Street Kids is still drawn by the same artist today that was drawing it when... You know, I was this sort of age, which is incredible, really. I mean, how long has David Sutherland been doing it now? Since the 60s? It must be, yeah. Because he's in when his... When did Leo stop drawing them? It must have been in the 60s. In the 60s, yeah. So... Baxendale invented them in the first place. Yeah. So he's been, he's been drawing them for literally decades, <laughs> um, which is wonderful. So, because um, this does tend to be the case with the Beano. Um, often, once they... they like using an artist mm. they will use that artist for years so I mean both of us have been I mean you've been working for the Beano longer than me Just obviously, a bit longer, but not very much longer you've got to be working for them years. about 10, 11 years something like that mm. and I started in early 2007 I think mm. so yeah that's kind of getting on for a decade nearly as well so I mean you spoke a bit Hunt about drawing Little Plum in the style of Baxendale. Mm. I mean, did both of you feel that you had to kind of adopt a house style to a certain extent? Or did they allow you, the longer you work for the comic, to make it a little bit more personal? I kind of felt that I should adopt a house style, but I, I actually realised that they, they're not really that bothered about it. Mm. Um, 
they do have certain kind of rules and standards they work to, but they're, they're, fairly, they're fairly obvious, really. Um, I think it's more interesting that they, um, the way they try things out. I mean, we've both of us drawn characters that, that have never appeared in print. Hmm. Um, they'll come and, they've come to me and said, draw us a couple of pages of Dennis, just because they wanted to see what I did with Dennis the Menace. Hmm. And um, in particular, there was Desperate Dan, who was originally done by Dudley D. Watkins, and in that kind of old-fashioned, semi-realistic style that he did. And then, more lately, by Ken Harrison, who is one of the, the long-established artists. I think, has Ken retired now? He must have done, because the last I heard, he was 77, <laughs> and that was about four or five years ago, so he must have retired by now. They unlocked the cage. <laughs> <laughs> but he was drawn desperate, Dan, and it wasn't really going down with the, the kids at all. It was too old-fashioned. <laughs> so they came to me and they said redraw Desperate Dan in your style and I did two strips for them which had never appeared in print but they took those strips and gave them to Ken and said redraw Desperate Dan based on these oh my goodness <laughs> so he was then doing an, a new style Desperate Dan that was based on my version huh. of Desperate Dan through my filter um, which was an interesting mm. way around to do things and then but not long after that, they actually the dandy went in an entirely different direction, mm. and they got Jamie Smart in to do it, and the, who draws like nobody else on earth. Mm. No, well, I, I thought Jamie's take on the dandy was terrific, but unfortunately, I think it was so radical for a mm. lot of people, it lost a lot of readers. And I yeah. wonder if that's not so much because of the kids who read it, but the parents who come and buy it for the kids, and they go, this doesn't look like the banana man of my youth, I'm mm. not buying that. I'm not sure about that. I think it has something to do with it. I mean, I know that um, when I was first working on the Beano, um, they they seemed to be paying too much attention to their adult readers. Hmm. I mean, all of the... Um, well, that's what I'm wondering. All the, the merchandising, the clothing <coughs> and things, all came in adult sizes as well as child sizes, you know? Hmm. And, uh, and I think they were losing things there. But then... Now, they, they seem to have a very good grasp on, on what they're doing now with the, with the child market. So the whole thing is very much more integrated. Um, I like the way that they've got Beano Town, and there's mm. a map of Beano Town. And everybody, you know where everybody lives, <laughs> and they always live there, and so-and-so is their neighbour and things, you know. And all the characters are in it, and they're in different classes in the school. So, but it's the same school. Mm. So Tricky Dicky is part of... Um, the Beano Town gang now, even though he's in a different, different class to the Bash Street kids with a different teacher. Mm. They all go to Bash Street school yeah, now. Uh-huh. They haven't asked you to do one mega story that involves all of the characters across the length of one comic. They do often do Do they that, do that? Actually. Oh, cool. Um, the, but the way they tend to do it is... Um, it's always Nigel that, that writes them, isn't it? Mm. Nigel Octolooney, he... Um, he draws the numbskulls, but he writes a lot of scripts as well. He writes Dennis at the moment. Um, and the last time I can recall they did this was about a year ago. Um, he scripted it all out and then um, sent the artist's page to them. So I got, obviously, a page of Tricky Dicky's script. But 
the story followed on from what had been happening in, say, the Billy Whiz strip on the page before. It was a big kind of conspiracy thing about some hooded figure trying to go after the mayor or something. I can't remember. But, yeah, they did that. They, they carried on the same story throughout the entire comic, but all the artists still drew their own strips. It was just all, like, bits of pieces of a jigsaw puzzle. I don't think I was involved in that. I think the characters I was working on would be rats at that time, mm. and they didn't really fit into the, into the, the same, mm. same storyline, you know? Maybe it was the lack of alliteration. They're not rat rats, they're just rats. <laughs> but um, they do bring... The, you, you get different characters come into the story, so, um, like, you, I, I'm currently working on a, a set of stories called Make Me a Menace, and now and again Dennis will come into that story or me mm. as just as part of the story in passing, you know, so they're all there in the same place. Little Plum never quite fitted into that because, of course, it's... Um, it's a different world for mm. Little Plum. But on the map, they have, in a corner of the park in Bino Town, there's a Red Indian settlement. Of course. <laughs> Brilliant. Somewhat incongruous. <laughs> but it is there anyway. <laughs> Excellent. Um, does anyone in the audience have any questions for our creators from the Bino? Don't be shy. No. <laughs> oh, yep. <laughs> How did you get started in comics? Oh. <laughs> Do you remember what your first comic was? Um, well, I've been drawing comics for a long time. And um, I started drawing underground comics. I didn't really... I, I read kids' comics, but I wasn't really kind of passionate about them. And I didn't sort of draw them myself at all. Um, the first ones I remember being very influenced by was Mad, and that was when I was at school, and I used to do drawings based on that, but I really started drawing comics after I'd dropped out of art college and when I was being a hippie, and um, it was part of that hippie world, being part of underground comics, and I've gradually sort of come in from those outer fringes into the mainstream. Uh, well, for me, um, I've always loved drawing and I've always loved cartoons and I've always loved comics. Um, I was going to go and study animation at university when I was a teenager, but I, I bottled out of it because I didn't think I'd be able to do it. Um, did an English degree instead, which kind of led to me working for Osborne as an editor. But I never lost the, the desire to draw for a living somehow or do something artistic. It, it wasn't enough to me, ultimately, to just do it as a hobby. Um, I got to nearly 30 and kind of started thinking to myself, there's nowhere further I can go in my job at the moment. I still want to draw. What can I do about this? And it was about that time that I found out about this course that Hunt mentioned before, which was called Strip Search, hilariously. Um, and I got a place on that, and as Hunt has already said through him, I got in touch with the Beano editor, started working for the Beano, quit my job at Usborne, and I have been doing this full-time ever since. Wow. Um, Where did that course run? Went to... Where? 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 Um, it was Custard in Birmingham. Factory and no. around there in Birmingham. Okay. Um, and that was, what, uh, 2005, 
was it? I did strip search, mm. yeah. We ran, I think it was four years, perhaps, um, or maybe five years. Sammy was one of the students as well on a, no, a different year. Mm. And uh, it was... People applied to go on this course and um, were chosen. So there was about 10 or 15 people per, per go at it. Mm. And they got the chance to do um, workshops once a fortnight for about 10, 10, a set of 10 workshops mm. with me and with John McRae mm. and other visiting cartoonists. And um, there was different combinations. There was one year we, we worked with... Uh, um, Bulgaria and Spain <laughs> with groups there so there was like a, an international element and we produced a, a book with all the different artists in mm. from the different places and I had to negotiate editing that with um, three different covers and translations and, and we got to go to Bulgaria and go to Spain as well which was good mm. fun What's the Bulgarian comic scene like? Um, much the same as anywhere else really <laughs> Any other questions? Yeah? My favourite comic? Well, just at the moment, I like Dennis the Menace because the writing is really good in Dennis just now. They're very funny stories. Um, my favourite comic ever is a one called Crazy Cat. Mm. But that's from a long, long time ago, from before I was born. Well, if you look at the Calculus Cat page in your caption program, there might be a certain similarity there. Somewhat. Yeah, a little, <laughs> a What's your favourite comic? Uh, well, my favourite all-time comic, and I'm talking a comic rather than a cartoon character, was a comic. It was called Oink. Mm. Do any of the adults in the room remember it? Late 80s, early 90s? Mid-80s, okay. about 1986, 87. Um, and it was, it was made... It was parodies of things in the Beano and films and things like that, and it was all themed around pigs. And it... Yeah, if you describe it to someone, it sounds like, what the heck is that? <laughs> the main thing about it, apart from the fact that it was hilarious, was that they often incorporated the artists into it. Hmm. So they had a, a kind of a fake editor character called Uncle Pig, but all the artists that worked under him were, were the real artists. And it was the first time I really got a sense of real people ah. being behind comic strips. Because it used to be that, you know, in the Beano when I was little or, or any of the comics like that, you wouldn't see people's names on them. Mm. You wouldn't have any sense that there was an artist behind the art but with Oink, you knew who drew every strip. You mm. knew what some of them looked like. Mm. Um, and I'm friends with some of them now, which is awesome. <laughs> yeah. um, you should so, do an Oink revival. Oh, well, it's yeah. often been spoken of and <laughs> been talked about. But I think all the artists are far too exhausted. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, cool. Any other questions? No, well, I'd like to thank uh, Lauren Hunt very much for coming and talking about the Beano. Thank you. Thank you. For more information about Laura Howell's work, please go to laurahowell.co.uk. That's L-A-U-R-A-H-O-W-E-L-L dot co.uk. 
For more information about Hunt Emerson's work, please go to largecow.com. And for more information about the Beano, please go to Beano.com. Laura Howell's comedic graphic novel about Gilbert and Sullivan is available now from Soaring Penguin Press and can be found in all good comic shops. And a variety of Hunt Emerson's work, including a new collection of Calculus Cat and his adaptations of various classic works of literature, including Dante's Inferno and Lady Chatterley's Lover, can also be found from Knockabout Books at all good comic shops. For more information about Caption Festival, where the Q&A with Hunt and Laura was recorded, please go to caption.org. And the site of Caption, Fargo Village in Coventry, where you can find Al Davison's comic shop, The Astral Gypsy, is well worth a visit. Comic book events are fairly thin on the ground at the moment, at the end of 2015, at the beginning of 2016. However, at the moment, in Orbital Comics, they have an exhibition celebrating the work of Avery Hill Publishers, and that's on until the 2nd of January. And you can find more information about Orbital Comics by going to orbitalcomics.co.uk, and you can find their shop at 8 Great Newport Street, near Leicester Square Tube. At Gosh, 1 Berwick Street in Soho, they have an event next Wednesday, the 6th of January, in which Jessica Martin will be talking in the shop at their regular process event, discussing the production of her new graphic novel, Elsie Harris Picture Palace. She'll also be running an art creation event, encouraging comic book creators to use a page of dialogue and description from her comic to create a new piece of artwork interpreting her text. That's taking place on Wednesday the 6th from 7pm. From the 2nd of January, Gosh will be having a massive sale on their back stock, including 80% off certain graphic novels and up to 50% off back issues. Then looking ahead to February, on the 5th of February, they have a launch event for a new comics imprint called Singing Dragon, a new series of comics looking at health and medical issues, with launch titles by such creators as Rachel Smith, Mike Medallia, Stephen Haynes and Sophie Standing, and they'll all be in the shop on the 5th of February, signing their titles from 7pm. For more information about all GOSH events, please go to goshlondon.com. Panel Borders was recorded by Alex Fitch, introduced and edited by Alex Fitch, and is a Panel Borders production. You can find all previous episodes on our blog, www.panelborders.wordpress.com. And fans of British periodicals might like to tune in to the Electric Sheep film show, where I'll be talking to one of the producers of the new documentary Future Shock, which tells the tale of the seminal British comic 2000 AD. In the meantime, thanks for tuning in, and hope you have a very happy Christmas. Thanks for listening. This program has been brought to you by Resonance 104.4 FM. If you liked what you heard and want to support our work, please make a donation at fundraiser.resonance.fm.